transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald J. Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. America's heart broke the day after Christmas when a young police officer in California was savagely murdered in cold blood by an illegal alien who just came across the border. The life of an American hero was stolen by someone who had no right to be in our country. Day after day, precious lives are cut short by those who have violated our borders. In California, an Air Force veteran was raped, murdered, and beaten to death with a hammer by an illegal alien with a long criminal history. In Georgia, an illegal alien was recently charged with murder for killing, beheading, and dismembering his neighbor. That was President Trump in a primetime Oval Office address carried live across all of the major networks on Tuesday, January 8th, footage courtesy of CNN. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Trump Watch. When we broadcast our first show back on December 7th, 2016, under the name Trump Watch Countdown to Inauguration, I don't think anyone, myself included, predicted we'd last this long. But bringing you this show every week has been a profound pleasure, and I hope that we've been able to shed some light on this complicated moment in American politics. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in so far, and as long as President Trump is in the White House, I hope that I'll be here to bring you Trump Watch with Jesse Lent every Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. When President Trump addressed the nation from the Oval Office on Tuesday night in a speech carried by all of the major television networks, his remarks about the danger of undocumented immigrants flooding across the southern border may have sounded familiar to anyone who's heard him speak at one of his rallies. Yet, it was a far cry from what's been heard from past U.S. presidents on primetime television, yet another norm Donald Trump has shattered. Here to put Trump's first primetime Oval Office address in context, in context, as well as push back on some of the president's claims, is Noah Lennard. We spoke earlier today. Joining me now is Noah Lennard, a reporter for the nonprofit news organization Mother Jones. He wrote the January 9th article in his first Oval Office speech, Trump falsely depicts immigrants as violent criminals to justify shutdown. Hello, Noah. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Before we get into the specifics of what the president said in his Oval Office address on Tuesday night, do you recall the immediate impressions you had while you were watching it live? Yeah, I think the immediate impression was this is President Donald Trump's first Oval Office address of his presidency. He spoke for nine minutes. And probably took about half of that depicting undocumented immigrants as violent, savage criminals, despite the fact that studies have repeatedly shown that undocumented immigrants are less likely to commit crimes than the native-born population. So the fact that he chose that theme for his first address, the same theme he launched his campaign to the White House on, uh, I think tells a lot about where his priorities still are. We're going to get into some of the specific uh, arguments the president made in his speech. Uh, 
but before we do, how unique is it for a president to use a primetime Oval Office address like this to make an overtly political argument? I think what what's unique about Trump's speech last night, as someone else put it, you know, he... Americans do not believe there's a crisis at the border or a national emergency. Usually a president will use that that space and that primetime address to try to calm the nation at a time of crisis. Trump is trying to make Americans feel panicked and create a feeling of crisis when, in fact, none exists. You report that in 2014, all the major networks chose not to carry a speech by then-President Barack Obama, uh, introducing policies designed to shield millions of undocumented immigrants from deportation because it was considered too overtly political. What do you think has changed in the four or five years since then, considering how political Trump's address was and the fact that it was carried by all of the major networks? Yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a bit cynical about that explanation from 2014 that it was too overtly political. I think it's important to note that that speech was happening in on Thursday in November during sweeps, so an important time to attract new viewers, where this was on a Tuesday night. So I think that's one important consideration. And the second, I think perhaps the networks, because it was the first time he had made an Oval Office address, were showing some deference. But in you know after the speech, I think they got exactly what they should have expected, which is eight, eight nine minutes of overtly po- political fear mongering, essentially. You summarized Trump's message in last night's address as, quote, immigrants are violent and they're coming for your family. Do you believe this was just more fear mongering from the president as he did so effectively on the campaign trail? Or is he attempting something beyond that here? No, I think it's just the same theme that you saw throughout the campaign and throughout his presidency. It really is the point that he returns to time and time again, more than really any other thing, is that he wants to instill fear in Americans. And I don't know to what extent it's because he believes that himself or he's cynically manipulating Americans or a combination of the two. But it is the theme that he returns to time and time again. Yes, that does seem to be a theme of conversations like this. Uh, you know, anytime you hear political analysis, right, it's the age old question regarding Donald Trump, which is how much is he strategizing? How much is he thinking in his in advance? And how much is he more just going by his instincts? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's really hard to know. But I think, you know, to a large extent, I think for a long time, he's, he is a xenophobic person. We know from what he's been reported about his private conversations in terms of referring to whole nations or people in Africa returning to their huts. He is a xenophobic person, and the remarks that he makes about undocumented immigrants committing crimes would fit with that worldview. Okay, let's get into some of the specific claims in Trump's address last night. Uh, The president spoke about grisly murders by illegal aliens in several different states. But you report that this uh, claim is not backed up by the evidence, the claim rather that immigrants are inherently violent or murderous, uh, with several reports like one done by the academic journal Criminology finding that incidents of violent crime have actually gone down in correlation with immigrant populations moving in. Are you saying that the facts on the ground seem to be the opposite of what the president was saying last night? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, the facts uh, are show the opposite. And I think there's also a a good study from the Cato Institute that really was a comprehensive look at Texas criminal records. And it showed that 
there were twice as many convictions for the native-born population as there were for the undocumented population. He, he has no evidence to back this up. There are roughly 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States. Out of 11 million people, a small number of them will commit crimes. That is obvious, but there's no evidence of any sort of crime wave. And in fact, there's evidence to suggest the opposite. And we should point out that the Cato Institute, uh, I believe a Koch uh, brothers funded uh, organization is is hardly a uh, liberal bastion. No, hardly. They're uh, a libertarian think tank. They are uh, in favor of more immigration to the United States, but they are. This is not a left wing think tank by any means. You report that Trump stood by his administration's misleading events, uh, misleading effort to tie the wall to stopping drug smuggling, while, as Mother Jones reported earlier Tuesday, the vast majority of hard drugs are smuggled through cars that drive through official ports of entry. So this is another pushback on the president's claims. In this case, his argument that the only way to stop drugs like meth, heroin, cocaine and fentanyl is with a border wall. Yeah, this is one of the most obviously misleading claims that both Trump and multiple members of administ- administration continue to make, and, and they know it's false. Uh, the, gov- the Trump administration has said multiple times in official reports that the vast majority of hard drugs, of opioids, which is what Trump singled out last night, come through official ports of entry. People drive them in cars, they conceal them, and they bring them into the United States. And the Trump administration itself, just on Sunday, asked for about $600 million of technology, as Trump mentioned in his speech, but what he didn't say is that that technology to detect more drugs will go to the ports of entry. People are not, with the exception of marijuana, bringing huge amounts of drugs between ports of entry when they cross the border illegally. So this is something that a wall would arguably have little effect on. Yeah, I think even beyond, yeah, on our, a wall would have very little effect on this kind of drug smuggling. And the White House has made that clear, and that's why the money that they're asking for would go for drug detection at ports of entry and not between the ports of entry. Why do you think this wall on the southern border is so important to the president? David Lionheart and Emily Bazelon floated the idea on Slate's Political Gab Fest podcast last week that perhaps Trump doesn't even really want the wall to get built, but simply wants to be seen struggling with the Democrats over this issue. Do you agree with that analysis? And if not, what do you believe President Trump wants out of all of this? No, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. I don't think he's particularly concerned with whether the wall gets built or not, but he wants to. What he is very concerned about is showing his base that he is fighting for it because it was the thing that he said over and over and over again on the campaign trail. And I think what was telling, it was probably about a year ago now, but in private remarks that were leaked with then Mexican President Nieto, he basically said, Look, you know, I know the wall isn't the biggest thing, but it's really important for me politically here. So I think he knows what's going on, and he was ready to keep the government open without the wall until he saw Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter, you know, telling him on television that he needed to do a shutdown. I'm speaking with Noah Lennard, a reporter for Mother Jones. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Noah Lennard, you report that Trump considered declaring a national emergency on Tuesday night so he could direct the military to build sections of the wall, and that at least for now he's decided not to do so. But in a White House press conference earlier today, President Trump said, quote, I think we might work a deal, meaning 
of course, a deal between himself and Congress. And if we don't, I may go that route. I have the absolute right to do national emergency if I want, unquote, as reported by Michael Tackett of The New York Times. So how likely do you think it is for President Trump to declare a national state of emergency to get his funding for the wall? I think it's really hard to say, but what we do know is that Trump is not someone who likes to back down, and he, the Democrats showed are not going to give him his wall funding. So one way to, for an out for him is to declare this state of emergency. I think it's something that would be pretty quickly blocked in the courts, but then it would, that would give Trump an out. And then he could blame the courts for once again impeding his immigration agenda and save face. So I would not be surprised if Trump saw that as a good way to resolve this self-imposed crisis and save face. Assuming that it wasn't blocked in the courts, what would that look like if the president declared a state of emergency? That that still is really unclear what that's going to look like. In theory, he could direct um, the, the Defense Department or the Secretary of the Army to begin constructing sections of the wall. But at this point, it's it's a real hypothetical. He's going to be bringing the U.S. into really uncharted territories and potentially provoking some sort of constitutional crisis because he's so obviously uh, going against the will of Congress here. Another statement Trump made in his Oval Office address last night that you pushed back on in your Mother Jones article is his contention that there's both a security and a humanitarian crisis at the border. You argue that, quote, there is no security crisis. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, I think this is the most complicated part. But on the with the security crisis, it's a pretty simple answer. There is not a border security crisis. Border patrol apprehensions are about a quarter of their historical highs. So the average Border Patrol agent is apprehending fewer than two migrants per month per agent last last year. So there is no border security crisis. Apprehensions are still far below their historical averages. So what would you say to Republicans or uh, hardliners on immigration in the Democratic Party who would say, well, uh, you know, this saying that there isn't a security issue at the at the border is the equivalence of open borders and saying that we don't even need to police our borders. I think at that point, it, I, it's one that's hard for me to understand. I mean, it's quite clear we have about 20,000 Border Patrol agents. We've constructed many parts uh, of the wall that Trump would like to see expanded. So it's, it's very clear that we've robustly expanded our border security infrastructure. But what I would say is what is, what is different now is there are a record number of families, primarily from Central America, coming to the United States to seek asylum. And that is not what our immigration enforcement apparatus was built to deal was built to deal with. So that is different and does propose real humanitarian problems. But so far, they've been ones that the Trump administration has not been interested in addressing. The longest government shutdown in U.S. history, as we discussed last week on the show, was during Bill Clinton's presidency in the mid-90s. If the current partial government shutdown goes into this weekend and becomes the longest shutdown in U.S. history, do you think that says anything about the state of our politics in America? I think it absolutely does. I mean, the fact that we might have the longest shutdown in U.S. history over $5 billion of border wall funding is absurd. I mean, it's also important to remember, this isn't even, Trump isn't even asking for all the money for his wall. The wall would cost 20 to $25 billion. So we're, we're going to have the largest shutdown in U.S. history over 
a quarter of the wall funding at a time when Border Patrol agents are often quite bored in their jobs because there are far fewer migrants crossing the border than there once were. And obviously, this is an important number to put into perspective because $5 billion might sound like a lot of money to uh, some of our listeners, but in terms of a federal government budget, this is a very small amount of money. It's an incredibly small amount of money, and I don't know the exact multiple, but is outweighed by many, many multiples by the economic damage and chaos that this kind of shutdown causes. Do you know if this will remain a partial government shutdown no matter how long it goes for or if at a certain point more critical services would be forced to close as well? I'm not sure on where the specifics are for now. You know, the essential employees will they will be continuing to work, but the bigger but the issue for those essential employees and is that they're not being paid right now and they're not going to be paid until the government reopens at least partially. So what you're seeing is employees digging into their retirement accounts and t- t- taking on additional credit card debt. This For those employees who are not being paid right now, this is a crisis, unlike the one that's not happening at the border. And what do you say to the idea that uh, even though President Trump was uh, recorded in a televised press conference with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi saying that he would own this government shutdown, uh, that any government shutdown reflects badly on the Democrats being the party that is pro-government. Again, it's sometimes hard to understand what Trump's logic is on these things. I think the polling has been quite clear that the American people are primarily blaming Trump for this shutdown. And one of the reasons they're blaming him is that Trump said, with many cameras pointing at him, that he would take responsibility uh, for a shutdown. And it's quite clear that Democrats... And also a lot of Republicans. It's important to remember that the Senate voted unanimously to keep the government open without a wall before Trump changed his mind. So I think the facts pattern is pretty clear, and it's obvious that Trump is the one who is essentially holding the government hostage right now until he gets this $5 billion or finds some other way to get out of this without looking weak. In the Democratic response to Trump's Oval Office address from last night, newly reelected House Majority Leaders Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer made a concise argument that the president should reopen the government without insisting on funding for the wall being part of it. Uh, But though Schumer said that, quote, the symbol of America should be the Statue of Liberty, not a 30 foot wall, neither Democratic leader said anything about the fact that immigration is beneficial to our country. Do you understand their reasoning behind this? No, I'm not sure what the reasoning is. I think one of the challenges with covering Trump or responding to Trump as as a politician is that there are just so many falsehoods to keep up with that that can occupy a large amount of, you know, airtime or article space. And then sometimes it can be harder to get to the more positive picture. But I'm not sure exactly why that, that didn't come up. But I do think um, it's something that can be lost amidst Trump's attack on immigrants. Was there anything else that stood out to you about the Democratic response? You know, I'm not sure if there's anything else I would add on that one. I realize it's crazy to make predictions about this administration, but do you have any sense of where the debate over the wall is headed? I I really... I'm, I really don't know. It's it's hard to predict, but I think what does seem clear for now is that Democrats 
And, and I think what remains true is that Democrats are not going to provide the wall money. So it's a question of whether Trump accepts some sort of compromise where he gets border security funding that isn't wall funding, or whether he takes the hard line and tries to declare this emergency so that he can get out of it in a way where he is either blocked by the courts or can build the wall through an emergency. But I, I would say that the odds that he actually declares an emergency and then gets to build the wall are extremely unlikely. You mentioned that you didn't have anything to add about the Democratic response. If you were advising either Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, do you feel that this shutdown could ultimately benefit them, or is it simply too risky? I think for now, it's. I mean, uh, I think for now it does seem to be to be benefiting them, and that the American people are blaming the president for a now almost three week government shutdown. And it's hard to see how that doesn't benefit them and continue to reinforce an impression that. Donald Trump is not a reasonable person who can be negotiated with. The article you published for Mother Jones uh, uh, yesterday before Trump's Oval Office address was uh, entitled Six Immigration Lies Trump Might Tell in the Oval Office Tonight. So uh, how many of those six, by your count, did the president tell? I would say he told about three of the six, um, and then the he, he definitely talked about the drugs. He talked about the border security crisis. He talked about a humanitarian crisis in a very misleading way. Uh, what he left out were the, the terrorism numbers that have been at this point so thoroughly debunked that they may be even too obviously false for Trump to say in a primetime address. The White House was touting this number that DHS, Homeland Security, had stopped about 4,000 terrorists, and then it turned out that all but a dozen of them had been stopped at places other than the southern border and about seven times more were stopped at the Canadian border than the Mexican border. Important to note that this, as you report in your article, was actually fact-checked by Fox News anchor uh, Chris Wallace. Yeah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders tried to use this um, over the weekend when she was uh, speaking with Chris Wallace, and he immediately said, you know, I thought you might use this. I studied up on it. It's not true. Most of these people are stopped at the airport's. And it was only then the next day that NBC News got the number that it was at six people stopped at the southern border. But it's interesting to wonder whether had NBC News not gotten that number and made clear that it was so obviously misleading, whether Trump would have doubled down on it and used it in his address last night. Do you think the president's focus on individual unnamed cases of uh, murder, even decapitation, was perhaps a way to uh, shift the focus from the idea that the facts don't really support what he was saying, as you've been pointing out here for the last 20 minutes? Absolutely. I mean, there is really no coherent case whatsoever for why what is happening at the border as it relates to security is a crisis right now. All the evidence suggests the opposite. So when there really are no facts to support your case, you have to reach for individual anecdotes that might scare people and might make them think that there is some sort of crisis or emergency uh, when, in fact, you're just cherry-picking statistics out of a population of 11 million people. As someone who clearly has been following you know, the minutia of this wall debate, how important do you think it is whether the wall gets built? That's that's what can be so frustrating about covering this, and is that it really is not the, that important. And it is in a 
it's an important policy discussion whether the should build a wall or not but there and there's not much evidence to suggest that it's necessary but there are so many other very important issues happening right now as it relates to immigration i mean the biggest trend we're seeing right now is a record number of families coming to the united states to seek asylum and our asylum system right now is not built to process that many people arriving and what you've seen the trump administration respond to the trump administration has tried to respond to that by family separation in the spring separating more than 2500 migrant families trying to make it illegal to claim asylum if you cross the border without authorization so every step of the way i think the real story here is the trump administration effort to punish asylum seekers and deter them from seeking refuge in the united states and that is far more important to the current immigration landscape than a wall designed to stop people i mean what's actually happening in most most cases is families are crossing the border and seeking out border patrol agents and then requesting asylum. They're not trying to get into the United States undetected. Well, we'll have to have you back to talk about that issue. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Noah Lennard, a reporter for Mother Jones and author of the January 9th article. In his first Oval Office speech, Trump falsely depicts immigrants as violent criminals to justify shutdown. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. That's it for today's show. (coughs) Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 100 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter And join us again next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when my guest will be Robert Costa, the host of Washington Week on PBS. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. The ticket.